0: Would you like a $100 gift card for the 5150 apparel store? Well, right now through the end of May, you can get one. All you got to do is follow Knockin Doors down on Instagram, like the contest post, tag three friends, and you'll be entered to be one of the five winners selected on Monday, June 1st. Must be 18 years or older to enter.
1: What's going on, everyone? This is uh, Knocking Doors Down. Jason here with you. I'm Mikey. Of course, we're talking with the mental health comedian Frank King today, so that's coming up for you guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you didn't uh, hear just as before the podcast kicked off, we got that contest going on on our Instagram where you can win a $100 gift card to the what? 5150 LTM store to get yourself some gear why not while we're sheltering in place get yourself hooked up with some 5150 swag and uh all you got to do is go there to our instagram knocking doors down like that post tag three friends and you are entered to win that ends at the end of this month so enter now Shop
2: on us. Shop online on us, guys.
1: Exactly. Why not, right? Well, of course, it's a Mental Health Awareness Month, so we've been focusing on that with the folks that we are speaking with and also the Carlos Vieira Foundation, which we are aligned with, um, if you haven't seen. They've got a great program called uh, the Race to End the Stigma, Mm -hmm. and they've awarded some scholarships for 2020. So if you want uh, more on that, carlosvieirafoundation.org. And also we've posted up on both Facebook and Instagram, uh, just by searching knocking doors down, give us a follow there, uh, all those, uh, winners and congratulations to them. Yeah. A lot of great stuff, man. Congrats to those kids. Very good stuff. Yeah. They all rather, uh, some sort of personal adversity or that of maybe a family member that they overcame wrote an essay. And it's uh, great that that scholarship is out there and exists again for more details, Carlos Vieira foundation.org. And, um, we posted up Mikey on our Facebook, a story. That uh, was sent to us to uh, to post by uh, by Cassie here, mm-hmm. and uh, she said, "Hey, uh, maybe this is something may, might be good for the Knocking Doors Down listeners. Is uh, do you think COVID nineteen is helping destigmatize mental illness?"
2: I I mean I don't why not you know you got a lot of time to sit back think and reflect. I mean I wouldn't see how not you know why not?
1: Yeah, I mean I I don't know if it's necessarily about the destigmatizing. Um, that maybe that's the right term. but I know for for me with any personal struggles or other people that maybe this time is really highlighting it. You know, of course, you with anxieties, oh, you yeah. know, it's really kind of uh, triggering different stuff that that uh, you know, it comes to the surface. and you know, we've been trying to do what we can to let people know that you're connected. You're not alone in this. So um my hope, the hard part is, I'm I'm a conversationalist, which happens in person. So I can't really say if it is or isn't because I'm not really talking with people. Yeah, you're not
2: out there getting out, seeing other people's perspectives on it. Yeah. It's kind of, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't.
1: So I don't know if the overall, what is going on with it and, you know, everyone and having to to follow recommended guidelines, which we should. We will got to protect our health and the health of others if it's per se destigmatizing it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, I've tried to been more communicative for mm-hmm. any kind of help that, that I need and need to get, um, you know, to keep myself on track. And I know that's the, ch- the challenge, right? It, any of us, it's, you know, m- mental illness or not is kind of you know staying the course and and continuing to progress and not to be cliche but knocking doors down and and leading more and more self improvement which was the whole Mission when we were doing the hashtag KDD challenge was challenging yourself for 30 days of self improvement, getting rid of something negative or including something positive or yeah. doing both. Yeah. So,
2: eating healthy, working out, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, feedback we got was from Melissa. She said, uh, As a warrior, I don't feel it's destigmatizing it one single bit. Sadly, she says, If uh, any destigmatizing is happening, it's by warriors and the like and it has no impact on covid shedding light on it so she feels it's a it's a personal matter within the community to continue to do it and destigmatize it which once again ties in with the race to end the stigma program uh that is the, the Carlos Vieira Foundation mission with with that uh, part of the organization so
2: no and like you were saying too it's being a conversational list if you're not out there well not everybody but I goes for me too. If I'm not out there talking about it with people, I'm just there with my own thoughts. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to go based off of that. I would hope that it would be destigmatizing it, right? Cuz you don't want to get rid of that stigma, but I I can't answer that cuz I don't know just like everyone else we're all kind of locked inside right now
1: yeah absolutely Mm. well if you are yet to follow us on social media follow knocking doors down on Instagram and Facebook that story that was published by uh, time.com is up there please leave us your feedback tell us what you think and uh, we appreciate you guys following us Uh, Frank King coming your way here in just a second and uh, if you have yet to subscribe to knocking doors down do so on the Apple podcast app the Google podcast app spotify or you can go to kdb may
0: is mental health awareness month the carlos Vieira foundation along with knocking doors down joined together with the race to end the stigma program the race to end the stigma campaign was created to not only change the way people perceive those who are living with mental illness but also how those who are affected perceive themselves to find out more about the scholarship program head over to carlosvieirafoundation.org for more info
1: and our guest today, uh, Frank King. How are we? I live in a nightmare, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, Frank is the mental health comedian. This is, uh, and uh, you know, you found some some sense of humor in the adversities that you've gone through in life, and and we'll definitely get into a lot of the the great stuff that that you've done um, to to help other people co- with with sharing the struggles that you've gone through. Uh, but as Mikey and I were, were, uh, you know, getting to know you more, looking at different things that you got on, on your website, the mental health Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Cause I don't think people sometimes understand that, uh, depression and, and mental health issues can very much be hereditary. And it, it was
3: a case in your family. Yes. Uh, not just one case in my family, uh, it's called generational depression and suicide. Yeah, My grandmother died by suicide, my mother found her, my great aunt died by suicide, my mother and I found her. I was all of four years old. I screamed four days. Oh, wow. Yeah. If you wanna know the story, it's in my first of five TED Talks. Yes. he said bragging. Uh, <laughs> it's in the first, first TED Talk called A Matter of Laugh, L-A-U-G-H, or Death. And I tell the story, I'm gonna spare your listeners the, the <laughs> triggering event that I experienced at the age of four, when we found my great aunt had died by suicide, yeah. and I myself in 2010, after kind of the height of the recession, my speaking business had dropped off 80 percent. My wife and I lost everything in a Chapter Seven bankruptcy. Oh Lord! And uh, at that point, I could I learned what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Uh, spoiler alert: I didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> but,
4: yeah, a friend of mine had
3: goodness. never heard me- then yeah, never heard me say that out loud he heard heard me do a keynote he came up afterwards he goes hey man I come you didn't pull the trigger go, hey man could you try to sound a little less disappointed
2: yeah right damn
3: <laughs> right it's like you know don't isn't
1: it a good thing i'm still here and helping people you know let's not be an ass yeah um so frank obviously some some uh, some things that you definitely encountered early on in your life with with the uh, you know depression, which I don't think people understand. I know that for me, it's a, a family background along with the addiction. But um, how did you kind of segue? Because people find it funny that for me, they know m- normally know me as a very jovial guy. Uh, you know, a twenty-year background uh, career in radio, and now doing this podcast, and I tend to kind of keep a smile on through through the sadness. How did you segue into comedy? Was it just laughter kind of helped you throughout youth and you gravitated towards comedy or?
3: Well, first let me tell you that I did a morning show as well in Raleigh, North Carolina at uh, WRDU 106, the home of rock and roll, which was Mm -hmm. the number one morning show in Raleigh in 1993 when I went to work there when they were hiring comedians to do morning shows. right. I was able to drive that morning show, that number one morning show, to number six in 18 months, one of my <laughs> proudest accounts. Uh, yeah. Hey, you guys know there's two kinds of people on radio. People have been fired, people who are going to be fired. This yes. is the way uh, – I got to you know,
1: say, I, I was a miracle. I actually made it 20 years without ever being fired. I don't know how. It that
3: was, is uh, – I've got a friend who worked at a station in um, Greensboro, North Carolina, who did at least 20 years. Same station. He even survived – in '95 or '96, when they began to, you know, create clusters because they changed yeah. the rules and said you could have more than one AM or FM, he even survived that. Yeah. Um, the um, the radio station I was at was sold for, you know, uh, sold along with eleven others, uh, yeah. and and most of us, uh, I think I was, I think, I, I mean, I think I was still working there. I hadn't been fired quite yet. Um, anyway, <laughs> the uh, the comedy. And the mental illness, I believe, are part and parcel of the same wiring. I have a, a major depressive disorder, depression, and something a little more rare called chronic suicidal ideation, Okay. Um, which is, for me, the option of suicide always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And when I say small, uh, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden, get it fixed, buy a new one, or I could just kill myself. That's chronic suicidal ideation. Now. The upside of that is I believe that my imagination, comedy, comedy, writing skills, comedy, timing, stage presence, personality is just the flip side of that particular coin. I did a TEDx talk, my third one, called The Evolutionary Advantages of Mental Illness, Mental Mm -hmm. with Benefits, and it's all about how everybody I've met at whatever age, who has a mental illness or two that's not completely dysfunctional often has some kind of superpower. You know, they're musical, they're a great writer, they're a comic, they're artistic. And I thought, this cannot be, it cannot be a coincidence. And if you look at the list of celebrities and athletes and politicians and whatever that have a mental illness, one or or more, uh, you begin to realize, I think at the end of it, I said, look, you don't have to be mentally ill to be successful, famous, rich, but it doesn't hurt.
5: Right. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. So I, I, those, it wasn't like I was depressed and discovered comedy or you knew comedy and they got depressed. I was born with both and told my first joke in the fourth grade. Kids laughed and I thought, I'm going to do this for a living.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and in high school, I took drama, three years of drama, never got a good part in any plays. And by my second semester of senior year, I'm like, I believe I see a pattern. <laughs> um, i thought you know if i do stand-up i can write direct star on my own little show every night so at the senior talent show this is 1975 i did stand-up comedy first person ever to do stand-up comedy at the senior talent show and i won nice and i told my mama i'm gonna be a comedian and she said well you're going to college first son <laughs> you can be a goat herder when you graduate but you're gonna be a goat herder <laughs> with a degree so I went to I went to Carolina and I got two degrees, one in poli-sci, political science, one in labor management relations, worthless. But um, but I got to tell you, as a comedian, a good liberal arts education is not a bad thing. Yeah. I had a girlfriend from high school. We made it all the way through college even though she went someplace else and uh, married her. Big mistake. Um, we had nothing in common. You know what they say, opposites attract. She was pregnant. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... We moved. We moved to San Diego, and just by chance, in San Diego, there was a branch of the Comedy Store it's still there. It's on Pearl and La Jolla. And I just every time I drove by there, I felt this like magnetic pull. I just could not. I knew that's where I belonged. And my ex-wife, that was not what she wanted me to do at all. So my fourth TEDx talk <laughs> is called "Suicide: The Secret of My Success" and uh, "Dead Man Talking." And the reason the secret of my success in comedy, especially, is. I realized that if I didn't change something, you know, I lovely woman shouldn't been married. I'll sell insurance, great business, but not for me was not going to the comedy store. I thought I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. My second thought was what the heck I can divorce my wife, quit my job, try comedy. If it works and I think it will, then great. If it doesn't hell, I can still kill myself. So having nothing whatsoever to lose,
5: right. that's
3: how I got into comedy. I was able to put it all on one roll of dice, knowing that if, you know, if I stayed where I was, I was going to kill myself. And I got to tell you, I've got a comedian friend who had the same basic thought process. I've got a TEDx coaching client who left one 20 year job to pursue another. And he, when I, he saw my TEDx talk, he wrote back, because we have a lot more in common than you think. Cause he thought if he stayed in that 20 year job, which is a good one, yeah. that he would kill himself. And he thought he belonged someplace else, living, living somebody else's life basically. And he's been very successful. Um, and then he's now a TEDx, TEDx coaching client. And I were trying to give him a TEDx talk when the world returns to near normal. Um, so that's, that's how um, the. And suicide keeps me alive. The idea of suicidal ideation, because it's always on the table for me.
5: Right.
3: It, it, it's, it's my. I don't know if you ever saw the show Afterlife with Ricky Gervais on Netflix. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: Yes.
3: Second episode is boss is trying to cheer him up because look, don't try to cheer me up. I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. If it gets too bad, I'll kill myself. Sadly, that's my superpower. So that's my superpower. If it gets too bad, if it weren't for the option of doing that, right. it would be very difficult to make it through the difficult times. Because <laughs> I sit, uh, my book's going to be called, I'm going to write a memoir. It's going to be called um, Starting the Conversation on Suicide because that's what everybody hires me to do. Yeah, yeah. And the subtitle is going to be um, Living in the Exit Row and on the covers a picture of a guy sitting in the window seat in the exit row looking out the window. Cause that's where I sit all the time. And by the way, uh, Hunter, Thompson Hunter, eight, Hunter, Hunter S. Thompson, Hunter
2: S Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. He,
3: yes. yeah, he's, he's got a quote just like that. <laughs> you know, if it gets too bad, I'm, I just hit the exit. I've always got that option. And another yeah. person who I think had suicidal ideation. Uh, so I've been doing comedy. I did comedy up until the time I did radio and the comedy club thing was kind of crashing in 93.
1: Right. Yeah. Did radio for a
3: couple time. of years. Yeah. Cause there's clubs everywhere. And all of a sudden they weren't opening as fast as they were closing. Yeah. And after getting canned by the radio station, my my boss, still still a friend, by the way, uh, he said to me, we can go back on the road. And I said, there is no road. But I've been a clean comic all that time, which cost me dearly, by the way, on the horrible beer bar, pool hall, honky-tonk, one-nighters. Tell us some jokes we can dance to. Right? <laughs> um,
5: <laughs> there comes a slow when
3: you can slow dance. Uh, but what I realized was I could do the corporate comedy circuit, you know, the rubber chicken circuit. Yeah. yeah. So, man, I, ra- I rode that horse. Until 2007, and I was making stupid like five grand for 45 minutes of clean comedy. HR will pay a lot of money to make sure not that you're that funny, but that nobody gets
1: offended. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right. They, every now and then they go, We're paying you how much for 45 minutes of jokes? I go, No. First of all, you're not paying me for 45 minutes of jokes. You're paying me for seven years of beer bars and pool halls and honky dogs. Yeah. Right. And B, you're paying me that kind of money. So when I get done my job, you still have a job. And that resonates. but after the recession, they came to me and said, "Look, Frank, we love you dearly. We love your comedy, but we can't we can't pay that kind of money just to tell jokes. You need to need some takeaways, learning objectives. Teach my audience something." I'm like, "Oh man," because I always wanted to do that. I love the Zig Ziglar's of the world. Those you know, yeah, those yeah. old school because I used to watch those guys and think I could do that, but I never. <laughs> <laughs> figured out What am I going to teach people? So. Uh, I began to think about my family's history and my history and mental illness, and I took a class, um, it's called Working Minds, uh, Suicide Prevention as a Workplace Health and Safety Issue. Yes. And when you put the word workplace in there, that tells you there's a corporate market for it. And I read Judy Carter's book. Judy Carter wrote the comedy Bible, and she just wrote the New Testament, the, you know the updated one recently. <laughs> and she also wrote a book called The Message of You, Turning Your okay. Life into a Money-Making Speaking Career. And I th- going into the book, I thought I got nothing. Halfway through, I thought, son of a gun. I do have a story, and more than one. So I used her book to cobble together my first TEDx talk. Uh, I applied, and I got the first one I applied for, which is rare, uh, to just timing. And then I bought a book called Talk Like Ted, which is nine things long at in every great TED talk. And I used that book to refine it. What happened was, I went up and auditioned to Vancouver, BC, or I auditioned by, by, by application. Um, and then they called me up to Vancouver, BC for an audition. I thought it was Vancouver, Washington <laughs> two hours away, not seven hours I away. Anyway. away. <laughs> yeah. So I screw screwed. I'm flat. So I flew up and they, they called me and they said, look, we would love to have you on stage with us at the TEDx. Um, but we, all we ask is that you mention in your suicide prevention, TEDx, you mentioned Robin Williams. And I said, well, I, no, no, you don't, have, you don't have to ask. He's already in there. Cause I worked mm, for
5: him a couple of yeah. times. Yeah.
3: Uh, so, that's why I got the, the gig because it was just you know he by between the time I applied and the time of the TEDx he had, he had died by suicide right. so I got that and that was that allowed me to rebrand from comedian to you know when I when I left the clubs I rebranded from comic you know barroom comic to boardroom comedian and then this TEDx first one allowed me to rebrand in everybody's mind or begin to uh, as a as not just a funny speaker but a speaker who was funny yeah, yeah. and then I did I've done four TEDx since then. The last one I did was in Durango, Colorado in November. I hadn't posted yet. It will probably next month. It's called Mental Health and the Orgasm, Treat Your Depression Single Handedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, fir- nice. my first my first <laughs> line first line of the TEDx is I love my iPhone, but it's my second favorite handheld device. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. There you yeah. go. And it's the only one I've ever gotten a standing ovation for. We had a ball. Oh my God. It was so much fun. Yeah. And, and the curation team, they didn't like it. There's a whole team of people that pick, but there's one executive director. So the executive director thought it was, a, I mean, I applied normally I apply a half dozen times to get a TEDx, about, like sure. 15, 16 times where I could find somebody who would even read through it. And the executive director loved it and said to the committee, I don't care what you think he's, he's going to be on. So, After I got done, one of the young women who was four square against me being on the stage at TEDx, she walks up. She goes, Frank, I didn't think you were a good fit for this TEDx. And I got to tell you, I am so happy I was so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Takes takes a big person to admit, you know, they made a mistake like that. Sure, sure, sure. So now I'll have a fifth one coming up and, and, and people go, does it get you a booking? No, but it gives you credibility and it's a great branding tool and it's, you know, it's, it's good for marketing and right. yeah, and each one of those is about mental illness, mental health. So they all, you know, it's all, I, in 2018, January, I was, I had a networking speech, you know, keynote and a, and a customer service keynote and a motivational keynote and a suicide prevention keynote. Well, you know what? I'm going to, as we used to say in college, when you just picked one fraternity to, you know, to rush, I'm going to suicide it. Pardon. <laughs> um, I'm just going to do suicide prevention talks, period, paragraph. That's all I'm yeah. going to market. I still do comedy. If they ask, I did comedy on cruise ships until, <laughs> until <laughs> middle, of, middle of February. You guys probably know that. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you want to cover that later, that's fine. Um, uh, didn't, didn't, I knew I'd get fired. But cruising is like radio. Sooner or later, you're going to get fired. I always wanted right. to go out in a blaze of glory. I didn't know I was going to go out in that big a blaze. <laughs> but uh, I've never been fired before and had my name on the front of the uh, Daily Mail in London and New York Post. <laughs> That's another story. Anyway, um, th- they allowed me to rebrand. Yeah. And then, then, and then when I coach speakers, I said, "Look, you need to pick your. You need to pick a lane. Pick something you're passionate about." You know that I can wake you out of a sound sleep, and you give me 45 minutes on without breathing hard. And second, you got to find um, your ideal clients. You know, people who not only have a meeting and have a budget and use outside speakers, but they need what need to hear what you got to say.
5: Yeah. And yeah. so
3: I looked at the top 10 or 12 at-risk occupations for suicide, and I picked four or five where they're actually trying to do something about it. Um, construction is number one occupation at risk for suicide. Really. Mm yes and they're working very hard to change that and then i picked dentists because they're like number five or six veterinarians five or six doctors five or six and then uh safety managers people that work at like marathon oil and shell where they're they're all about you know like physical safety but now they're beginning to work very hard on you know taking care of the the brain above the teeth the organ yeah um
1: because there is kind of a real stigma in the workplace with with mental health um i know that you know like i said 20 year radio career uh, we didn't start dealing within the workplace until the last couple of years when I was in that situation. You know, I, I mean, I you know, my staff sometimes when I fell into depression, they had to offset for, for me and pick up the slack. And there was a couple other people that struggled as well. And, you know, it's good that you're bringing it to light. And I, I you know, for me, humor has always been imperative for doing so. Um, so, what are you kind of finding with through through the, your stuff? Is is are you finding that when you do these corporate things, that maybe they're taking a better look at mental health in the workplace because oh, yeah. of the awareness?
3: Yeah, because because as I said, ninety five percent of my clients say to me when I get there, we just brought you in here to start the conversation on suicide. Because yeah. even though eight million people every year in the U.S. contemplate it, and one point four million attempt it. By the way, women attempt three times as often as men, but men complete because they use a gun.
5: Right and
3: mm-hmm. Forty-seven thousand last year died of suicide. That's one every eleven minutes. Jeez. Man, I know the COVID nineteen is bad. I know that yeah. several thousand people in the U.S. have passed away. But if we do this, if we do this, this, this podcast for an hour, five more people will have died of suicide in the hour. Right. So um, the um, I find that by using humor, because somebody asked me. Does being a comedian hold you back? Do they not book you because you're a comedian? I go, no, you, you missed the point. <laughs> they book me because, because it's very difficult to spend 45 to 60 minutes talking about death and dying without some kind of, you know, like I did earlier. I uh, put the gun in my mouth, spoiler alert.
2: <laughs> right, there.
3: yeah. <laughs> I get my first nervous laugh. Mm. Um, All right. Um, In my TEDx, my first TEDx, there's some really dark jokes in there. My grandmother died using an old gas stove. You know, she blew out the pilot light. My great aunt did it with an old Lock type refrigerator, where if you get inside, there's no getting out. And I said to the audience, "What is it with my family and major appliances? Dear God, (laughs) I can't drive past a Sears without tearing up." Uh, They're they're taken aback and then they laugh because, but that that makes the medicine go down.
5: Yeah, more
3: memorable. The other thing I do is by being a man, man, and going on stage and being vulnerable mm-hmm. and saying, look, this is what I have. I, There's a song by Big and Rich. I don't know if you guys ever worked in that particular genre of uh, radio, but yeah. Big and Rich has a song. They have a song called Somebody's Got to Be Unafraid to Lead the Freak Parade. And that's my job. My job <laughs> yeah. is to get up on stage, let my freak flag fly, and rally my tribe. Mm-hmm. And because I come out. Especially as a man, and say this is what's wrong with me. And then I and several of my stories, I tear up on stage. I choke up on stage. Tell them on the verge of tears. It it allows other guys to to give voice, guys and women, to give voice to their experiences without recrimination. And I got to tell you, the chronic suicidal ideation thing. Almost every time I speak, somebody, sometimes more than one somebody, has that chronic suicidal ideation, and they didn't know it had a name, and they thought they were just some kind of freak and all alone. And when they come up afterwards, the relief is palpable. I had a woman at a dental convention a year ago, January. Everybody's falling out of the room. She's coming toward me. I look up and I can tell from where I, even from a distance, she's crying. When she gets up to me, she's crying so hard she cannot speak. And so I took a chance and I said, you have chronic suicidal ideation. She nods. I said, you didn't know it had a name. Nod. You just thought you were some kind of freak. Nod. So do you have a therapist back home? Nod. Well, when you go back home, set an appointment, <clears throat> tell your therapist everything you learned. For God's sakes, tell them you Googled it. Don't tell them you learned it from a comedian. <laughs> and, a, and a week later, I got an email from him. I said, you know, Frank, I think I was at the dental conference, that conference, simply to meet you. You have changed my life, and I cannot say that about a lot of people. Wow. <clears throat> so, which is very therapeutic for me. But here's yeah. the upshot of that. I'm at the uh, University of Montana building, because I do colleges as well. Standing outside, starting to snow, it's dusk. Kids, kids, gone to get the truck, take back to the hotel and there's a river in the distance. I can hear the water moving. And I'm thinking about all the people who've come up after my shows and yeah. you know, and, and I, I helped them realize they were not alone and maybe I steered them just far enough off the path to suicide. They'll live a normal life. And it hit me. Oh dear God. I'm like that character, George Bailey. And it's a wonderful life. <laughs> I've been shown what these people's lives would be like if I were not there right. to speak and tell them they're not alone. And my second thought was even more sobering, which was, Oh God, now I can't kill myself because I take all these people with me. I, and my third thought was, um, and then they pursue me through eternity. You couldn't wait a week.
1: <laughs> It's—I I don't know. Tell me, you have longer experience with me. Is it a mechanism that helps us kind of correct and shut off that thought?
3: Well, it—it—if it, you, Jason, if you find yourself driving down the road and you look up ahead, there's a bridge abutment, and you're having a bad day, and you're looking at that bridge abutment, and you're thinking. <laughs> I just turned the wheel a little bit. Uh, Or if you're sitting at a a railroad crossing and the train's coming and you look down at the Uh. train, you think to yourself, Hmm. Yeah. I made the mistake of telling this to a neuro normal person. I freaked them out. They said, how's your morning? I said, well, I took the dog to the, uh, to the uh, doggy daycare. And I said, then I have to go across the railroad tracks to get there. And the train was coming, the arms come down. And I said, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I wonder how far I'd have to back up, how fast I'd be going to get through the first guard but not through the second one, so that it actually end up on the tracks. So they don't want to take them both out and then be alive on the other side, know the railroad for both these. <laughs> They're like, I, yeah. <laughs> I go, it's a math problem. I'm just how far. Are you? <laughs> I'm just calculating. Leave. It's physics. It's okay? just a yeah. math
2: problem. Goodness. Yeah, two trains leave
3: Detroit. One guy pulls on the tracks. You know. um, <laughs> the but that that's suicidal ideation, and it's yeah. happened so many times that you know it's not a serious. You know, it's not, I've learned to live with it. I had a young woman at a college conference come up afterwards and said, I enjoyed your keynote. Thank you very much. I said, you're welcome. She said, you made me weep again. She goes, when you told your story about your car, get it fixed, buy a new one, you know, or kill yourself. She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I didn't know it had a name. I thought I was some kind of freak. And when I heard you say that I realized for the first time in my life that I am not alone. And I wept. And then she says, I was hoping I'd grow out of it. I said, honey, I'm 62. If I'm going to grow out of it, I better get started. <laughs> <laughs> Time is a ticket. Yeah. Cause you know, a lot of people think that there's a cure. Right. I used to say that I battled depression and I realized battle implies I can win. And there is no win. we can tie kind of an uneasy truths mm-hmm. like North and South Korea, or I can lose <laughs> and kill myself, but there is no win. Yes. There is no. Uh, so I, I, I advise my audiences, you know, I take a holistic approach, diet, exercise, good night's sleep, medication, meditation, and of course after my fifth TED talk masturbation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take matters into your own hands. <laughs> That's just the way it's uh,
2: gotta go in life.
3: <laughs> yeah. And so and I get medication. I, I didn't even take that till I was sixty. Fix some over the counter stuff called Sam E. S A M dash E Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, I've heard,
1: it, yeah, I've done Sam E before years ago. Yeah,
3: you know, it's good on mild depression, but at sixty I thought, you know So I asked my doctor and he prescribed something and, and Two weeks in, my wife noticed the difference because you know you know how it is. We think we think nobody notices. We think great, yeah. great and we are great actors. We hide most of it. Oh yes. Um, the third week, though, I had this thought unbidden since I hadn't had it since high school. And bear in mind, I've got a good life. I do what I love for a living. I have a lovely mm-hmm. wife and animals and house. But I've never had this thought since high school, which was and it just came. It bubbled up unbidden. I like my life. Like what the... It was almost like the you could just kill yourself. It just bubbled up out of nowhere, and I thought, man. My second thought was, why did I wait so long to take medication? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been gutting it out for 60 years. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, it's it means that when I get depressed, it doesn't last quite as long, and the, and the episodes are farther apart. Because people, right. I think, neuro normal people don't understand major depressive disorder, two days to two weeks, and it cycles like there's a flat spot yeah. on a wheel. It comes back. Can I tell you a quick story about normal people?
2: Yes, Let's please. Let's hear it. Let's hear it.
3: I'm in the – I'm really tired. And when I get tired, the little editor in my head goes to sleep. And I get in the Uber, nice young man at the wheel, and our eyes meet in the rearview mirror. And he goes, hey, man, how are you? And I thought, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to tell him. (laughs) I'm "I'm depressing, suicidal. How about you? Uh, He goes, "Uh, what am I supposed to say to that? I said, do you really want to know? He goes, yeah. I go, you're supposed to ask if I have a plan. So long pause. He goes, do you uh, have a plan? Another pause. And he goes, does it involve Uber? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, that
0: was good. So, yeah. uh,
3: Frank, how did you end up writing on The Tonight Show?
2: Yeah, what
0: well, was that like?
3: Um, I was on the road. Uh, my, my lovely, uh, my second wife. I was in San Diego. I won an improv that had come to town. I won the contest. And I was able to book 10 weeks on the road, mm-hmm. you know, at comedy clubs. And I said to my girlfriend, who's now my wife for 32 years, I said, I'm going on the road to be a full-time stand-up comic. Do you want to come along? And inexplicably, she said, yes. So we, um, everything in storage, we couldn't fit into my tiny Dodge Colt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we hit the oh, road. Oh, Colt. Well, what uh, remember the Col- of- <laughs> uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. There's a, there's a yeah, – I think there's a cult Turbo, which seems like a – anyway. Um,
1: <laughs> Very unnecessary the, um, to put a Turbo on a cult. Yeah. Uh, the,
3: uh, We are on the road together for 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop. Wow.
2: Goodness. We opened
3: up for Rosie O'Donnell and Ellen and Seinfeld and Dennis Miller and Adam Sandler, Kevin James, Foxworthy, and Ron White. You know, back when they were all just mm-hmm. comics. Yeah. And then the reason I came off the road was I got the opportunity to do radio in my old hometown, uh, Raleigh, which I came back, you know, triumphant or yeah. return. And then that was the genesis of my speaking career. But it's so the comedy and the, the mental health thing, you know, it's just, it's just the way I'm. If somebody said to me, look, one pill, one time, you'll never be depressed again, you'll never have another thought of suicide. However, the one side effect is you'll no longer process information like a comedian.
5: <laughs> <That's what laughs>
3: And let me give you an example, because every I thought everybody thought the way I did. I think a lot of people think everybody thinks the same.
1: Yeah, I think I don't know, Mikey. Don't you think that too? That the, oftentimes you think people think the way you think. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I mean. <laughs> what
3: was that, like i was like mike's fourth mike's fourth syllable mike this is a podcast there is audio you can speak up
2: i'm just listening man i'm taking it all in you, right you now get, it's like i don't know what there. to say right now yeah, that's right. i'm just uh, taking it all in man i'm yeah, taking
3: you doing the bob in. bob uh, what's it bob and tom bob kaborkian uh, just uh-huh. sitting there laughing uh-huh. that's um, <laughs> that ah. you,
2: you're on he's on to me he knows he's my strategy right. now he's <laughs> got the
3: mustache <laughs> hopefully um the uh, but on yes, plane. what we, Frank?
1: I can relate to that. I I thought everybody thought the way that I did. You know, especially as a kid, or you know,
3: here's how I here's how I learned. Not the case. I'm on a plane, um, changing plane. Remember when we used to fly? Um, <laughs> <on a> <laughs> All those eons ago. I wish I could fly now because the, you know the, like a from Portland to, to San Antonio is like eighty eight dollars one way, and you have the plane to yourself. it Would be or, really sweet. Oh yeah. Gas prices, but, uh, too,
2: but you can't go anywhere. So, you know, know all of this is just, you know.
3: Yeah. yeah. The um. Anyway, I'm on a plane at Delta. We changed planes, and we're getting ready to take off for wherever we're headed. And the, the if you've flown Delta, you know the flight attendants are very southern, most of them. And, and uh, they've just changed the rules a couple of years ago. The FAA said if you have, a you know, an iPhone or an iPad, you can use it on takeoff or landing if it's in the airplane mode. Mm-hmm. The problem with the flight attendant is none of that's written down anywhere brand new rule so they you know she goes through all the standard stuff you know seat cushions floor pad lighting auction mask and she gets the part where she's got to tell us about the iphone and the ipad so i'm waiting anticipating and she goes ladies and gentlemen due to new faa regulation and you can almost hear her thinking and she gets inspired due to new faa regulation if you have small equipment you can continue playing with it <laughs> I've been over double laughing. Nobody else on the plane. My teammate thinks I've lost my mind. He goes, what? I go, let's review. Before I can review, she comes back on and goes, if you have large equipment, you got to shove that under seat in front of you. So I'm down on my knees. And I realize everybody on the plane heard the very same thing. Just nobody processed it, especially at lightning speed. Right. You know, like that. So that's, that's what I, I can teach you to write stand-up. I can teach you to perform stand-up. I cannot teach you to process. Yes. the way my brain it just, it just works you know it just works that way it's, it's a muscle you know I've worked it. oh how I got the job for Leno you ask I was on that's why I told the road story I was on the road and Leno was the permanent guest host of the Tonight Show and Johnny was very mercurial yeah. he would decide on a Friday afternoon he wanted to be off the next week so he'd announce to the staff I'm taking next week off which meant Jay had four nights to, to do the show four monologues 18 jokes a monologue and so he wasn't rich or famous at the time He's. A good hard working comic, but yeah. you know eighteen jokes, it's like doing morning radio. I was responsible on that radio show for twelve minutes of good family friendly comedy every morning. That is a grind. Yes. So
1: I um, have no idea. Oh no man. Idea.
3: I mean I, I I was stretching one day, uh my foot up on my Toyota forerunner bumper, and there's two flies making love on the hood. <laughs> and I'm thinking there's gotta be something funny about this, and I thought I know what it is. <laughs> So I go in the next day and I go, look, uh, I'm stretching. These two flies are going out on the middle of my car. I can't tell you, you know, what position they were each in. But I can tell you this. I heard one fly say to the other fly, let go of my wings. I know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> and, and the producer goes, I would have loved to have been a man on the wall to see that. Oh, man. It's like the, the uh, mic drop.
5: <laughs> but anyway,
3: so Lena's facing four nights, 18 jokes a night. So he began to take on contract writers. He'd send you the paperwork. You sign off as a you know 1099 contractor, and then I was submitting 12 to 24 topical jokes a day, yeah, and getting on you know one or two a week when he was doing the you know the fill in, and then he got the job, for real. And a lot of the fact they call them fax writers back then because everybody faxed in their jokes. A lot of the fax writers um, didn't get the new fax number. They they cut I'd say 90 percent of them, and they, they kept on the rest of us. Uh, as contract writers. yeah, And so I rode that horse until um, he left The Tonight Show, and I had two jokes on his very first show, because I I know comics, they're lazy. And so, (laughs) trust me boys, nobody goes into comedy because they have a great work ethic. (laughs) (laughs) You're working 45 minutes a night and complaining. Um, Two shows, anyway. Son of a. Yeah, exactly. And I I
1: gotta drive,
5: oh hell.
3: (laughs) I remember there's an MC one time. He's on the couch, he's stoned, he's watching the golf channel in the middle of the afternoon. He goes, "I'm looking for an easier job." I go, "Stop looking. You're there." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I I knew that the other comics would slow down writing because there was a two week break between Jay and uh, Johnny and Jay. So I'm just pumping it in, and I had two jokes in the very first show. And the first one was, um, "Guy got stung to death by bees in Texas." Wait, this is like I you know fifteen twenty years ago. Guy got stung to death. And the punchline was it wasn't um Africanized um killer bees; it was just ordinary honeybees upset over the Rodney King verdict <laughs> and <laughs> killed. Uh-huh. And then, then the other one was uh, Dan Quayle. I'm sure you remember Dan Quayle. Oh yes. Uh, there was a, a show called Murphy Brown with candace Bergen, and and uh, on the show she had a child out of wedlock. And somebody asked, you know, Mister Conservative Dan Quayle, what he thought about candace Bergen or her character Murphy Brown having a child out of wedlock? He said. Um, it's uh, it to it me, it demeans the importance of fathers. And then he said, and this is set up. Uh, Where would I have been without my dad? And my punchline was my guess, Vietnam. <laughs> and it killed. So I had two jokes on the, uh, on the very first show. And I just kept writing, you know, for us. And by the way, uh, when it all ended for him, at the nice show. <clears throat> I called him up and said, look, um, I'd love to have a little demo tape, you know, just, Pouting my corporate comedy or whatever. Anyway, you know, I got a deal with uh, CNBC. I really can't be able to do But, uh, you know, if you ever get another shot of the morning show, um, you know, or something like that, I, I call Helga. That's his assistant Helga. Yeah. Give it a number in the guy's name, and I'll see if I can't strong arm him into giving you the gig. So I've, been, I've got that in my pocket. I'm waiting <laughs> for the when the time comes. We have a new book out. To oh, okay. Men's mental health I put the the website for the book in the show, in the chat box and so I'm gonna send him both the um, hardcover okay and I'm getting ready to I'm getting ready to voice the the audible version so I'll send him an mp3 of the audible version and just just ask him if you wouldn't mind blurbing the cover yeah because you, you know print on demand you can change things. Yeah. So it'd be nice to have you know Jay Leno, you know, great that.
1: If not, if you do an audio version, I can try to uh, fake it for you. You
5: know, that's, that's <laughs>
3: yeah. pretty
1: solid. That's pretty solid there.
5: Yeah.
1: All right. You know, I could I could try to help you out. You know, we could at least fake the audio a little
3: bit. Yes, <laughs> that's right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the audio book.
3: Celebrity voices impersonated by. <laughs> um, or you know, I, least,
1: I, I mean, we could go back to the, I could do the Jimmy Stewart for you, and just uh, yeah, Frank King. He's, uh, he's a beautiful man. I just. Uh, uh, I grew up uh, on uh, Dana Carvey, so it warped my little mind.
3: I opened for him a number of times. Oh, nice! That's great. And, and we were both booked at a convention of cardiologists, uh, the Los Angeles chapter of the American College of Cardiology. And the way it was supposed to work was, I was going to entertain at lunch, and he was going to entertain at dinner. You know, after, dinner, after
5: dinner, yeah, dinner. Yeah.
3: The agent called me. Goes, no, Dana's got a conflict. Um, he's going to do the lunch. You know, at the post-lunch comedy, you're going to do the post I've got to follow Dana Carvey. <laughs> so, I, I'm fine. But uh, apparently, uh, my cardiac comedy was better. They like me better than they did Dana Carvey, at least on the cardiac side.
1: Right. right. Which is I've ironic, had, being he had a heart attack.
3: Well, and I've had two aortic valve replacements, double oh, bypass, wow. a heart attack, and three stents. Holy so, Jesus.
2: Damn.
3: Oh, Yeah. Well, people ask me about the pandemic, you know, are you okay? I go, look, I've had two aortic valve replacements, double bypass, heart attack, three stents. I lost to a puppet on Star Search. Just <laughs> the things ever happened to me. Uh, so uh, anyway, that's how I got to write for Leno. Mm-hmm. And we had a bunch of us. Every now and then they changed the fax number. And each time I got the new fax number. So I just kept, you know, I just kept. And it, it's a great exercise of the creative brain pumping in 12 to 24 topical jokes yeah. you know a day I bet um, and I would, I would once I'd send them to him and, and the time had passed like two nights later if he didn't do them then I would I'll slip him in i yeah, I'd take the best I'd cherry pick the best ones and put them in my act yeah so because I, I do I began by doing a lot of topical political yeah it's a different time now <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I think it'd be very difficult to do topical political unless you're somebody like um, like uh, Louis Black who is strictly sure. And he went to Carolina about the same time I did. I'll be mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, this
1: great. And he just—he's got a way. It doesn't matter what side of the line, at least from my perspective, you stand on. He's just got a great way of of getting you to think and get you into laughter about it really fast. And I don't yeah, know. Top, maybe that's just my brain, but yeah.
3: You because you have a discerning brain. The problem is, is even if you try to balance it out, even if you're picking on both sides. Uh, You guys know this. I learned this in the radio. It's not what you said. Yep. It's not what they heard. It's what they thought they heard.
5: Right.
3: And and everything now is filtered through bias on one side or the other. So each side is going to think you took, you know, you favored the other side. Mm -hmm. But Lewis has made the commitment that he doesn't care about those people who think that way. He's found his audience, the people who pay him to come to a civic center. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is a bold. Picking political comedy is a very bold move. It's one of those things you need to dive in head first. Again, he picked a lane and he is going narrow and deep, not wide. He's not, trying, not. Leno was very much appealed to every man. Very middle of the road comedy. I mean, I would send in some scathing stuff. And funny that I would use in my act, but he wouldn't. He was and by the way, Jimmy Fallon has tried to stay out of politics and his ratings have suffered. Yeah. Against against Kimmel and, you know, and the other guys. Yep. As he's trying to do the Leno thing and it's just you know
5: Yeah, it's anyway.
1: such a polarizing time with it and, and you know, but normally it is. I mean that's just politics, you know. It's uh it doesn't seem to function if people are rational. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's, it's it's just gotta be crazy shit on the left or crazy shit on the right. Nobody stands in the middle and goes, you know, it's probably somewhere in the middle and we really could function so much better if we all no. actually worked together, but <laughs> It, no. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen.
3: I, I was on campus when I was at Billings, Montana, on campus at the University of Montana, Billings. So we are going around to radio stations for doing promo because it was open to the public as well. And um, two nice young men are driving me around. They said, you know, comics have a hard time on campus nowadays because people get offended. Uh, some of them, Dennis Miller, um, Seinfeld, uh, Chris Rock, I think. They don't do colleges anymore because people whine and get offended and whatever. And they said, now bear in mind, I'm doing a suicide prevention keynote for these guys they said you know you're a comic Are you worried about coming to campus and offending people and i said here's my philosophy i'm on campus to save people so can i say the f word yeah sure of course no, i said i'm on campus to save people so if they get offended fuck them <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the nice true. thing that's the nice thing about being a speaker versus a comedian. I can get away right. with the whole I, I don't drop the F bomb at corporate gigs, but I can get, I get away with, you know, a friend of mine said when I was so depressed and suicidal, you should exercise. And I said, you should bite my ass. <laughs> um, I can get away with that at a corporate gig when I could never get away with that at a clean comedy. Sure. Because right. they're, they're paying me for my lived experience, for that, you know, that pain, that suffering. So.
1: Yeah. Uh, Frank, I want to wrap up and just um, who inspired you to get into comedy? Who are some of your favorite comedians and and, uh, uh, not necessarily mentors, but maybe who you modeled some of your early stuff after when you were finding your voice?
3: Uh, influences in the beginning, uh, when I was a kid, it was Cosby and Pryor and George Carlin mm-hmm. and Cheech and Chong, even mm-hmm. though I had no idea what marijuana was. Uh, sounds uh, so
1: familiar. Yeah. <laughs> I still, you know, hey man, what's going on? Hey man, when uh, we go down the street and we'll see Dave, you know. And,
3: yeah, Dave's not here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, looks like dog shit. Taste it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good, good thing we didn't step in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Then, then when I um, I was in Carolina, yeah. and we all, we all would watch um, Johnny, and then I guess Letterman probably was just going, just beginning about the time. I, maybe, maybe it was pre-Letterman. But you know, we'd all watch the night show, the monologue and the guests, whatever. And I'm sitting there in the suite at the college, and I'm thinking, I wonder if anybody else sitting here with me wants to be on that show. <laughs> and that's who I began to model myself after. Um, Carson, Leno, Letterman. David Brenner was a, a favorite of mine. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. a topical Gary Shandling you know the, the poor put upon can't get a break uh, so when I went on stage I was the only guy in San Diego who wore a sport jacket tie and khakis and we had people coming in from East County which was very you know redneck right. rural and I would open my show by going listen if you're here from Santee I should probably identify my outfit this is a sport jacket and a tie and I formed a company called white collar comedy, humor for the pinstripe personality. I got started doing, you know, squeaky clean and people come up with me with a newspaper, hand me the LA times before I went on. It goes, here's the article, write a joke on this. And I'd sit there and I'd go up on stage and I'd nail a topical joke. Cause that's what I, yeah. you know, cause I've been reading the paper all my life and thinking those things. Um, I recently did, began doing something a year or two ago called Tercel Talks, T-E-R-C-E-L. Oh, okay. If you look on YouTube, type in Tercel, T-E-R-C-E-L, the Toyota talk or talks you'll find a dozen or more because i all my life i've been talking into the rearview mirror you know running jokes running gags you know my opinions whatever and i thought you know if i if I buy a clip and turn the phone camera around um just keep my eyes on the road but just you know and it's, i posted my first one oh get this guy comes up to me i made a really sweet move in traffic uh downtown springfield um Cut across two, the very LA move. Found an opening like NASCAR, cut across two lanes, swung it around, stop right there at the stoplight. Look at my rearview mirror, policeman. Uh, and so, guy, you know, I start to turn the corner. Woo! So I pull over in my 84 Tercel, a bait <laughs> magnet, by the way. I got to have the windows rolled up, otherwise, chicks did dive in. And <laughs> I, I roll down my window because, you know, it's, it's one of those. And uh cop comes up and I go, hey, man, um was it that maneuver I did coming out of the parking lot, swinging around there like NASCAR? I goes, no, man, that was sweet. <laughs> he goes, Um, you have any paperwork for this thing? As if because it's an 84 Tercel, I wouldn't have any paperwork. Right. I go, yes. I go, why'd you pull me over? He goes, well, on the back of your car, you got two license plates. Well, my father-in-law left us the car, and the old license plate was welded with rust onto the back. So I just slapped the new organ plate over it. But you can see the outline of the old plate. So he goes, the bearing Mouse like 84 Tercel. He goes, Well, you know, two license plates, Frank, that might indicate the car is stolen. I said, <laughs> I said How low would my self esteem have to be? Uh, I go, You and I both know that, you know, the, the penalty, the jail time, same for BMW. Why would, <laughs> not, now he's laughing. And uh, so that was one of the Tercel talks. As soon as he left, I turned the camera on. I go, You guys are not going to believe what just happened. The guy uh, thought I stole the Tercel. <laughs> I go back to North Carolina to work radio for a uh, summer, and for my old boss who hired me in '93, and they called me back. I got a job for you. We've been down that road, Phil. Um, and I had I had him ship the 84 door cell across the <laughs> to ship it. than it was worth. It's an 84 Tercel cell from Oregon with Oregon plates and a, a Grateful Dead bumper sticker, which, by the way, to the Raleigh police is um, what's it called um, when they uh, they can't stop you unless they've got. Uh, probable, probable cause. cause. Yes. That's cause. <laughs> the grateful <laughs> Dead sticker. Probable cause in the South <laughs> makes sense Yeah, with an Oregon plate. And they just passed uh, recreational weed. So I got pulled oh, over yeah. half dozen times. I get out of the car. I get the dog, you know, right. The dog's looking at me like, you got no self-esteem. Like it's 84 Tercel. Uh, anyway, that's, that's my, um, so if you, if if are listening go to Tercel talk or Tercel talks, so I'll find, and I'm going to start doing them again. Cause when I did the first one, I just did it as a lark and a, Buddy of mine goes, hey man, was an extra salt coming out?
5: You uh, like that's it? good stuff. <laughs> that's
1: awesome, uh, Frank. If people want to find out more about you, I know that you're getting the 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 book uh, going. Where where can they go to find all, all the info on uh, on you, good sir?
3: Uh, they go to my website, thementalhealthcomedian.com, thementalhealthcomedian.com, and and that's my handle on um, Facebook. It's um, Instagram, okay. Twitter. It's all basically. You type in the mental health comedian. My stuff will. If you type in comedian coronavirus Cambodia quarantine, you'll find out more about me than you ever care. You go Time Magazine, Newsweek, Inside Edition, Entertainment Tonight. Oh my god!
1: <laughs> oh well, Frank, we appreciate your time, man. It's been awesome. My face hurts. I'm gonna have. I was laughing say my too cheeks much. Are So I'm gonna have to go figure out whatever good. it is to to relax this. But uh, we really appreciate your time and thank you for. For opening up here to the audience, because you know, um, mental health is is such a thing, and it's one of our staples here that we want to help people with, and know that they're not alone. And really, our, our mission and motto is: if we can help just one person, it's all worth it. So, uh, oh man, we, that's
3: my I tell employers, people that hire me, I go, like, we save one person's life, that we have a good day's work. Let me give my absolutely. phone number, by the way. Sure. Uh, for the For the podcast listeners, it's 858-405-405 fifty six fifty three, which is L A F F, eight five eight four oh five five six five three. What I tell people is if you're suicidal, call the lifeline. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're mentally ill, or depressed, or whatever, just having a really bad day, call a crazy person mm-hmm. because we're not gonna judge. We're just gonna listen. Yeah. Sure, yeah.
5: sure.
1: Yeah. Well thank you for that. We appreciate your
0: time. It. Mr. Frank King. 5150 is a lifestyle we believe in pushing yourself finding your passion knowing your dreams and working hard always striving to make those dreams a reality we believe life's too short to sit back and say what if go after it grab it and make it happen Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road ahead that you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. Listeners of Knocking Doors Down, head over to 5150ltm.com. That website again, 51fiftyltm.com.
1: Oh well, we thank uh, Frank King once again for uh, coming on, knocking doors down, sharing his story. It is such a unique and interesting uh, story, to say the least. Absolutely. Don't you think, Mikey? Yeah,
2: no, for sure. The three options, you know, when yeah. the car problems, it's it's. It's you know just goes to show that there's a lot of people dealing with a lot of mental stuff that you pass them in the grocery store and you have no idea that that's the kind of stuff that's on their mind.
1: Someone is dealing with something every day that you see and meet, and you know that's why I I aim to be as kind and gracious as possible as I can to uh, to my fellow man, and uh, like he said that it was the whole. Purpose and mission of what we're trying to get out here in helping at least one person and just one person at a time was he said he totally sees that now, that adversity, that challenge of who he is, what's going on within his own brain has his strength. Right. And that's the ultimate takeaway I took is that, yeah, I may not be able to do uh, comedy. If I didn't have this, I wouldn't have been able to write for the tonight show. I wouldn't have been able to travel the world on, on cruise ships and uh, you know, meet so many interesting people and touch some lives and do a Ted talk is that this whole adversity that I was presented with, which he pointed out was part of his family, you know, genes Mm -hmm. that it ran in his family, presented him the life that he has. Sure. And sometimes I think we forget that or we have yet to start our mission in turning that adversity into how are we giving back to society, not just ourselves, our families, but others to help them overcome whatever they are faced and challenged with and encouraging them uh, and being a constant reminder that you can,
5: Mm -hmm.
2: you know what I really liked too was what was it? Suicidal ideation. Is that what it's called? So he has that unfortunately, but he, 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 makes light of it you know he can joke about it he can laugh about it when i hear about it you know he'll be saying something and it's it's you know he's making a joke i don't i can't laugh like i don't know like (laughs) should i laugh is he being serious like i don't know if he's you know like oh that's some heavy shit you know i didn't know if i could laugh or not but it is a joke well not that it's a joke that he was making and i'm just like oh man it seems very unfortunate but he's laughing about it and he has it so it's like okay well you know more power to him for shedding light on you know a very dark yeah situation
1: and i and I think that's all we can do, which once again goes back to uh, Carlos Vieira's book Knocking doors down that was the 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 spawned all of this on and the the mission that we're going on is you know his whole thing was about sharing it, and there's some dark, dark stuff yeah in there, but now for who he is now, the success that he's having. Um, the things that he's uh, turned it to be able to do with within the, his community and hopefully m- more further abroad. you know that's the goal is that the reach goes more farther abroad. We get listeners of knocking doors down around the world. you know, mm-hmm. we can see that that you guys are out there and, and we appreciate you sharing it. So we are incredibly thankful for the listenership and the continued support. And uh, on that note, anything else,
2: Mikey? That is it. That's it for this time, ladies and gentlemen.
1: All right, keep knocking doors down, and again our mission is to help one person at a time.
4: This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knock and doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, suggestions. suggestions, or correction of errors.